Mr. Robot Season 3, Episode 8, Don't Delete Me, is over, but we're just getting started here on the Post Show Recap Podcast covering Mr. Robot. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler here, back with another round of the Mr. Robot Podcast with my main man, Antonio Mazzaro, the Doc Brown to my Marty McFly. I don't know. I feel like I could be your Doc Brown, but you're the smarter of the two of us, Antonio. Is that true? This is heavy. I hadn't thought about that. Great Scott. Yeah, this is difficult. Yeah. These are my children, Jules and Vern. <laughs> this is the second time Jules and Vern have appeared in a podcast that I've been on in recent days. I know. I'm aware. Uh, How but you yeah, doing, Antonio? I'm doing great. I'm so happy that this uh, episode of our podcast is going to be called Don't Delete Me. That way people will be, they'll have to resist the urge to delete it uh, if it's in their podcast uh, app. So that would be great. It'll just stay on there forever, hopefully. Well, speaking of heavy, like that really puts the burden on us to deliver a podcast that is worthy of never being deleted from your podcatcher of choice. Like if you clear house every once in a while and you just need to save some memory for your phone. We don't podcast about house. Like I, to- I totally know that move where you just want to get rid of some stuff to conserve space, but you're not allowed to delete this podcast. So we really have to deliver. Like we really have to bring it this week, Antonio. Yeah, we have to make sure we include the the decryption keys for everything or the encryption keys for everything that uh, is all about Mr. Robot. That's our goal, I think, every week really is to decrypt what's happening with Mr. Robot. I don't think we should call it decrypting Mr. Robot, though. I think that's taken already. I feel like that's taken already. Okay, so we are talking about the eighth episode of the hot fire that is season three of mr robot best season of mr robot best episode of mr robot have we buried the lead here hyperbole that i share i think i don't know about best episode of mr robot but you and i were talking before we got on here and i i think you and i are on on the same page and i'm really excited to get other people's take and if we're just like overhyping it or or whatever but i think that this is i i would say this is my favorite episode of mr robot of the whole show right uh this one that we saw tonight i think you agree as well yeah favorite is not the same as best obviously you can have a best child, but it's not necessarily your favorite one. I'm not even sure I mean that. I don't know what I'm talking about. Caught me drinking water and nearly choking to death. That's <laughs> yeah. very funny. I'm just quoting my mother. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, this is, I think, my favorite. Uh, it's it's easy to look at other episodes of Mr. Robot that were more narrative or plot-driven and say, wow, that was a super exciting episode. But this was such an incredibly powerful, emotional episode. And I think coming on the heels of everything that we've experienced these last few weeks, and when you talk about a roller coaster, ride. It's been nothing but valleys and really intense emotional loss throughout the last three episodes that this episode focusing on gain, I think, at the end of the day, that the the arc is finally bending upward for a moment. It, it really feels like such a relief that the emotional heft of this episode stands out, I think, even among all the other emotional episodes of Mr. Robot as so incredibly memorable for me. I mean, this I think the first thing I said to you when I watched it is, I think I have a new favorite episode of Mr. Robot. And we're saying it's not the same as best but i i just loved this episode and in a way that i wouldn't necessarily say oh my god you have to rush out and watch mr robot i think there's more one where i'm saying you have to make sure you give this your absolute full attention you watch it under the right circumstances and you really take the time to appreciate it because it will knock you over if you let it yeah, and I think for I think that's really well put, and I think um, you know it's it's really earned by all of the history of Mr. Robot up to this point, and especially recent history of Mr. Robot. The last three episodes of this show 
coming into this week were so uh, heavy and propulsive and so much on the line. Um, a moment of victory that is quickly uh, shattered to pieces by the successful execution of Stage 2, which is now known throughout the world as the cyber attacks. Remember the 71. Uh, and then make that 72 and 73 uh, as we lost you know, the, the pillars of the Mr. Robot universe in our book, at least, two of the, the great characters of this show in Trenton and Mobley to really personalize um, the massive loss of life. The, you know, 71 doesn't even do it justice how many thousands and thousands of people died in those attacks. And it was just, it was very upsetting. It was uh, evocative of events in the real world and what it's like to learn about that information to, um, you know, not even like see the carnage itself happen on the show, but to watch people's reactions to that carnage and see them learn through their smartphones and gathering together and watching the TV, just the, the full weight of that. It, it felt so powerful because it felt so real. Um, and then to have like the double loss of uh, going from the successful execution of stage two one week to the loss of Mobley and Trenton the following week in this really, um, really graphically devastating way, even if you don't see the actual deaths of those characters, the way it's portrayed is just gutting. It's terrible. It's horrible. And you feel the things that Dom is feeling at the end of episode seven, where she's just staring at the whiteboard and looking at White Rose's name in the center and being like, you're going to get away with it, aren't you? And much of the front half of this episode, or at least like the front third or so, is really soaked in that feeling still, so much so that it's three weeks later for Elliot Alderson and the rest of the world were catching up about three weeks later from the cyber attacks. And Elliot, who still hasn't seen hide nor hair of Mr. Robot and all of this time, who has tried everything he could possibly do to either truly integrate with Mr. Robot or defeat Mr. Robot has not been able to, to get that stink off and has not been able to get out from underneath this other part of him's shadow and has uh, this feeling of massive culpability for what has happened with the, ex the execution of the cyber attacks and decides... Well, there's one other option I haven't tried. I could delete myself. I could take myself out of the equation. I can kill myself. Um, and that's such a, it's such a dark and, uh, you know, terrible place for this episode to begin in such a, a moment of low and despair and like this, uh, you know, the eerie calm that Elliot has a, a, about, uh, the way that he's going about his day, knowing it's his final day on earth. And then thank goodness for this sweet young boy, Mohammed, coming into the, into the mix and really saving Elliot from himself and really putting him back on this trajectory of you can do it you can make it there's there's hope for the future you can you can still fight maybe there is still something left to do so just within this very episode alone the emotional roller coaster is phenomenally powerful uh, and hinted at honestly in, in thinking about it in the the title card reveal of this episode where it's that classic movie theater uh, pre-roll where you're on the roller coaster ride through popcorn and M&Ms and soda and you're on your way to a very good time at the movies. Everybody who's been to a movie theater knows that experience, that visual motif. And it actually, in, in addition to just being, you know, kind of um, leading you towards what's one of the most 
cinematic episodes of Mr. Robot in quite some time, maybe uh, of all time. Um, it's also really hinting at the emotional roller coaster you're about to go on with this episode. So yeah, I loved it. It ended in a hopeful place. It ends in a really neat place for where we seem to be going for the remainder of season three and potentially uh, even season four, given that there's only two episodes left. Can't imagine that Elliot's going to put the toothpaste back in the tube with only two episodes left of season three, but there's hope. There's hope for the first time in a long time. And I'm stoked. I loved it. I thought that this was great. It was just, it, it was the exact episode of Mr. Robot that I needed. Yeah, it's, I think we all needed it. And I think it's, it's hilarious to me that the message Mr. Robot seems to be sending is, listen, breed, have children. They make you happy at the end of the day, even if the world's falling to shit. No, I'm only kidding. That doesn't seem to be the message that I took away. But, um, but yeah, Muhammad shows up at the right time and it is a cinematic episode and it is a roller coaster at the beginning, right before the title card, uh, smashing you through the film strips and getting you to this point. And we are looking at alternate timelines and we are looking at Back to the Future too. And we are looking at trying to make mistakes right but we're also talking about an Elliot who isn't born into this one thing he's had a lot of things that have been weighing him down and I, I had thought a lot about the monologue that he had at the beginning of the season when he was walking down the street and talking about the future that he could be responsible for and the horrible things that could result after what he'd done and the 71, the cyber attacks, they weren't even on that board. We saw the personal losses. We saw Gideon and we saw Shayla and we saw other people that Elliot felt personally responsible for. And so we know that that's something that stuck with him. So it stands to reason that, yeah, the cyber attacks are a horrible thing and he feels responsible for that. But the Trenton and Mobley impact of it and the fact that they're blamed for it and that's assigned to them and Elliot gets off free, it clearly is weighing on him. We see that emerge at the beginning of the episode, which we'll talk about with him and Darlene. Uh, and so it makes sense that what would pull him out of this is also more personal and it is also more localized. And it's also something that he can see right in front of his face. And it, Mr. Robot is a show that is so much about the forest and so much about the larger things that are happening. But sometimes when it takes the time to really explore the trees, tree by tree within that forest, you have such a greater appreciation for what's going on. And I think it made a lot of sense that in the scope of this huge worldwide event, they localized the tragedy with Trenton and Mobley, as we talked about last week. And now we're localizing Elliot's feelings of responsibility with regard to Trenton and Mobley and pulling him out with the connection to them and with one individual person that I think he sees a lot of himself in. And I think we'll get into that in this podcast. So very excited to do that uh, for sure. If you haven't listened to what we've done before, if this is your first one checking in or you aren't otherwise subscribed, go to postshowrecaps.com slash robot to subscribe to our podcast. We certainly appreciate if you do that. You can also go to iTunes, leave us star reviews, leave us reviews. We appreciate those as well, Josh. But uh, I think we should just get into this episode. There's so much to unpack, and I don't want to take too much longer setting it up. I don't know if you do. No, uh, I think, you know, as, as we said, I think it's a, it, it's a really beautifully shot and written episode. Uh, major props to creator Sam Esmail, who both wrote and directed this episode. It's just stunning to look at. And there's so much happening that just, uh, just on an emotional level that really drives you. But that being said, like you would think, um, after watching this, like it feels a little bit like a, a quieter character based episode yep. where it's a little bit less plot heavy. Yep. But I think, you know, 
pretty much right right away, you and I are going to talk about some maybe massive uh, plot revelations that are starting to come into focus that, that you and I have been theorizing a little bit about that we got some uh, forward momentum on here, too. So don't sleep on the plot stuff that is happening in this episode. I think that the meta story of Mr. Robot for you and I uh, starting to come into focus a little bit more uh, thanks to this episode, I think. Uh, I, I hope I'm not speaking out of school for you. You're not. Uh, you're not. Yeah. This yeah episode but it feels that way for yeah, me. It's certainly framed beginning and end with two major plot things, uh, two major plot moments, if you want to call them. And this first one is a flashback to February of 1995. In case you didn't know, like the movie theater prices should tell you right away, but so should the movie posters in the background. And we have Mr. Alderson and young Elliot at the movie theater. And one of the most interesting things, as you're pointing out from a plot standpoint right away, is we see that young Elliot has his arm in a sling and they're fighting about the window incident, about the fact that Elliot went out the window, about a lie that was told uh, and everything that that is the the crux of the problems between them and mr alderson is trying to get elliot to forgive him this does not jibe josh with the record that we have been told is the story of what happened with the window if you think back to when elliot had the confrontation with mr robot all the way back to season one episode two on the pier at the end of that episode where mr robot is reading i believe dostoevsky and elliot comes up and he wants to get back into the plan and mr robot ultimately pushes him off the pier he asks him mr robot asks elliot tell me about your father right before that and elliot says that his father never spoke to him after the window incident and couldn't even look at me the night that he died and this what we're seeing in the movie theater is i believe you confirmed with corridana the night that edward alderson died yeah, yeah, I believe that's correct. I mean, I that was one of the questions that I asked Cora Donna in my weekly column with Cora Donna. And I said, can you say if this is indeed the day that Edward Alderson died? And he said, yes, I can say that. So what we're seeing here in this really warm performance from Christian Slater, who really I don't think gets nearly enough credit. There's so much to give credit for when things are going right on Mr. Robot. And his performance as Mr. Robot himself is so much fun. But I think his turn as Edward Alderson uh, is is really, really touching as well that these are the final moments of Edward Alderson that we're seeing here. So if that's if that's reality as it existed and we are seeing that and if we're not, you know, if you want to get into alternate timelines and parallel, you know, uh, you know, versions of events. Maybe that's something that could be going on here. What Elliot is talking about in that first scene, um, uh, that earlier scene that you're that you're referencing back in season one on the Coney Island Pier versus what we are seeing here. Uh, I don't want to go down that robot hole right now. Let's just take it at face value that what we are being presented with in this episode is reality as it occurred. Yep. And, and if that's the case, and if we are lining that up with what Elliot says about his memories of his father how does that make sense unless was elliot not really around for a while is it possible that someone else was occupying elliot's space for a minute you know when edward falls down elliot takes the coat he takes the mr robot coat that edward alderson is wearing he goes into the movie theater he's wearing the mr robot coat he's in a nearly empty movie theater though not completely and he shushes somebody next to him because the movie is about to start except there's nobody sitting next to him and i think that that is supposed to clue you into the 
fact that there's, you know, Elliot's Mr. Robot duality already exists at this earliest point, you know, at this very early point in his life. Um, But don't snooze on the fact that, like, who's doing the shushing? That, to me, seems to be Mr. Robot. That, to me, seems to be the Mr. Robot side of Elliot Alderson presenting itself. That's the one we're seeing there. Uh, And if that's the case... Doesn't that open up a world of possibilities that you and I discussed in a in a podcast not too long ago in our mid-season feedback show? Yeah, it really does. And I don't know if it, if he puts on the coat, he be, he is Mr. Robot. Is that what we're meant to interpret? Because we saw that in previous seasons and episodes where the coat goes on and all of a sudden Elliot is talking about what stage two needs to be and he's put the mask on and he's he is Mr. Robot at that point. We see immediately that this coat is representative of Mr. Robot and holding on to this in this episode when Elliot takes it away to burn it. So there is that element where put the coat on your Mr. Robot. And we may be looking at young Mr. Robot in that scene and not, in fact, uh, Elliot, as you're pointing out. So I'm fascinated by that. And if if it didn't go down the way that Elliot said, in other words, if if what Elliot says to Mr. Mr. Robot on the pier is not true, that Elliot's misremembered it or he's created something in his mind because he wasn't there or something to that effect, then what else didn't go down the way that Elliot has phrased it to us, the viewers, or the way that Elliot remembers it? And we've talked a ton about that, not just on our feedback show, but throughout the season, that maybe the window incident didn't go down the way that Elliot has said it. And we track that because Mr. Alderson is always so sweet and so nice. And that kind of guy not talking to Elliot and being so malignant, why does he have, why is Mr. Robot so malignant so much of the time when Mr. Alderson was not? Uh, Darlene, when the Kevin McAllister story comes up, seems like very taken aback that Elliot would want to talk about it. Is that because it was actually a suicide attempt that day or not? Uh, we don't know, but maybe that window incident didn't go, didn't go down the way that, uh, the way that we thought it did. And I think there's definitely more to come on that. I know you asked Corridana about that as well. And I thought there was a great tease in his response to your question regarding the window incident. Yeah, so I asked him about that because I will just say for the record right now, I am really of the mind that the story that we have been led to believe that Elliot was pushed out of his childhood bedroom window by his father is not how it played out. And Elliot was pushed out really by himself, but what he perceived to be Mr. Robot, who probably at the time came to him in the form of his father still even then. I think that Edward Alderson was not the person who pushed Elliot out the window. And so what I asked Core, uh, I said, I have to ask, uh, I'm expecting a big fat Fidelio here, but I have to ask because I feel like it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. Mr. Robot pushed Elliot out of the window on that formative day long ago, didn't he? It wasn't Elliot's father who pushed him, was it? And I didn't get a Fidelio in response. This is what I got in response from Corridana instead. Corridana said, I will say this, you'll get some more information about that formative day before this season ends. Damn. Only, only two episodes left. Only two episodes left to, <laughs> to, to pull that lens back a little bit more. Uh, so I'm excited. Very excited to see where that could possibly take us. Well, and there may be more information about that window scene. 
that's already been on the show, Josh, when Elliot in season one, episode nine takes Mr. Robot or Mr. Robot takes Elliot, depending on who you want to say is in control back to Washington Township. And we go to the boyhood home of the Aldersons and Elliot goes into his old bedroom. He takes Mr. Robot there and Elliot looks at the window and says, this is where it happened, isn't it? And Mr. Robot, I don't know if he's playing dumb. He says, where what happened? And Elliot says, you remember anything about that window? And then he proceeds to slam Mr. Robot through the window. And he says, you push me out this window. You push me off the boardwalk. Maybe you're the one who needs some pushing now. And Mr. Robot says, calm down. It was an accident. And Elliot says, bullshit. I was eight years old. You thought I deserved it. That's what you said right before you pushed me again. And Mr. Robot says, no, Elliot, you thought you deserved it. You felt guilty about this your whole life, about telling people my secret. The anger was never at me. It was at you. Please don't be angry. You don't have to be angry at yourself anymore. Let it go. And Elliot its response is, you're right. I was angry. I was angry at myself for doing what I did to you. I'm ready to let go. And with that, Elliot pushes Mr. Robot out the window and he crashes down to the ground. Well, Mr. Robot isn't real, Josh. Mr. Robot is Elliot. And Elliot is bearing the, the brunt of that window crash the rest of that episode, limping around the graveyard. Uh, that almost reads like a suicide attempt. And Elliot's admission of guilt and that it was Elliot who did it to himself. And so, I mean, you watch that scene again with this with the with the view that this maybe didn't go down the way that you thought i don't know if there's any other way to read it other than that elliot did it to himself so lots to lots to chew on there uh tbd on exactly how that's all going to bear out but we are uh, if we haven't been tracking it already we're certainly tracking it aggressively now uh you know very excited to see how that bears out when we get a little bit more information on that truly formative day for elliot but at the very least we are seeing the death of edward alderson here we are seeing elliot put on the Mr. Robot jacket and go into the movie theater. And that to me is Mr. Robot also really explains why he's so cold to his father there. Like when he says, how long are you going to be mad at me? I told you, I'm sorry. Will you ever be able to forgive me? And he just gives him a straight up ice cold. No, like that's Mr. Robot to me. That's the rage of Elliot to me. Um, and that would explain why Elliot says like his, his dad hadn't talked to him uh, short, you know, for the rest of the time afterwards, like after he had, you know, revealed the secret and after he had betrayed him uh that would make a lot of sense to me as to why he hadn't uh didn't have memories of talking with his father because mr robot was in the front seat and uh elliot was in the back seat you know i think yep. that 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 really lines up for me um well anyway. that, it makes you wonder what what the what caused the birth of mr robot because i think the belief would have been previously that elliot created a manifestation of his, of his father mr robot because he wanted to keep his father alive because he wanted that memory of his father because he wanted some role in his life. But if we're now saying that Mr. Robot predates Mr. Alderson passing away, then wh why is that person there? Uh, we made jokes at the beginning of the season when we were talking about the comparisons to Blade Runner. Uh, and you said this will be the season we find out Elliot Alderson is a replicant. I don't know that we're going there, but I think that it, once we take on that the, the window situation went down differently, and if you embrace that, Mr. Robot might have already been present in Elliot's life before his father died then I think you start to invite the questions about why and what happened there. And you start to look at things like White Rose telling Angela, did you ever think that maybe you, the way that you and Mr. Alderson are was not by accident? That, that you didn't, that didn't, didn't, you didn't just happen. That the fact that your parents worked at a plant together, like you, this is not an accident. And White Rose doesn't believe in accidents. So was that 
part of this plan? Was that something involved? Those are the questions that people are going to start asking if we invite the possibility that Mr. Robot existed before Mr. Alderson died. And I certainly believe that if we're not seeing the birth of Mr. Robot in the movie theater when he takes the coat, and if that's not the first time we're seeing him, that if the window push involves Mr. Robot as well, then who knows why Mr. Robot first came into Elliot's life. But we're definitely going to have to track that going forward. And I think it's important because I think thematically, Elliot's guilt, how Elliot treats himself is something that resonates right from the jump in this episode. So not only are we seeing this moment when his father died and Elliot coldly walked away into the theater, but we're seeing like the, the resonance of the way Elliot feels when he feels guilty. We're seeing what that looks like and it, we're seeing ultimately what manifests itself. And, and as you, as you put it, Elliot believing this is the last day of his life and what he's going to do on the last day of his life and why he needs to take his own life. And a big part of what he says that when he says, when you delete something, you're making a choice to destroy it, to never see it again. You choose to delete because you need to free up space because you don't want it anymore because it no longer holds value. And we see him getting rid of Trenton and Mobley. Uh, he's looking to delete Mr. Robot. He's looking to delete himself and in fact us because he can't control Mr. Robot. And that will emerge in this scene uh, with Elliot and Darlene as well. But Josh, did you catch the, uh, he's burning the CDs of Trenton and Mobley. For Trenton, he writes Bruce Springsteen magic. And for, for Mobley, he writes DJ Mobley bitches be bold i love that i love that he gave mobley a dj mobley disc like that is so perfect and of course given trenton the boss as she is from trenton new jersey uh really really spectacular love that and something we haven't really seen in a long time is elliot you know putting people in like the cd book graveyard it's been a minute since we've gone there so i really liked that whole thing and i and i really liked this next scene um when carly chaken as darlene shows up and you know we're starting to get the sense that this that weeks have passed and Elliot's kind of being um, re- I, I was going to say Elliot's being a bit of an a-hole about Angela and everything but Angela was you know Angela. Keeping a, <laughs> was keeping a lot from Elliot of Speaking course of the boss. yes exactly so a lot was going <laughs> a lot was going on there uh, and it's understandable why he is uh, as filled with rage as he is yeah. but um, it's it, this is a great mo- like you know culminating in Elliot saying you know come back tomorrow we'll watch careful massacre who cares that it's not halloween and just the way they're holding each other um you know what the way that they're hugging each other at the end of this scene together like it's just like i don't know that the show has always done the best job of like really you know the selling the believability of the aldersons as siblings always i don't i don't know if that's a hot take but i i love the moments when they really do go there like when they really do show them as like brother and sisters super close when they really really want to be or at least like in, intricately linked together in terms of their life histories and this was just a there's a really beautiful tender moment of, of watching the two of them just like try to find some level of um support and love for each other in that moment with darlene rightfully worried for elliot knowing what elliot knows he's about to do or he thinks he's going to do uh later on this day like there will be no careful massacre tomorrow right and i don't think it's a super hot take that they the show hasn't always stuck on the sibling stuff because you have to keep in mind for the entire first season 
reason they had to keep them apart and they didn't want to lean into the sibling nature of their connection because they didn't want to reveal that part of the story and it's we're so in the dark on it that Elliot kisses Darlene on the mouth in episode eight in season one and it's this huge revelation that she's actually his sister uh, and it's supposed to be a shock I think for the viewers at that point so it is something that they had to stay away from for an entire season and then Elliot's in jail for the first seven episodes of the second season so it again becomes very difficult the, these two are kept apart for a reason and then this season has strongly been about Darlene working behind Elliot's back with the FBI uh, for for their best interest as we find out in this scene it seems like the none of this is going to stick to them that they're they're in the they're in the clear at least it seems we have to mention a couple of things there's been a time jump it looks like it's about three weeks after the events of the cyber attacks or somewhere in that realm is that what you're reading about three weeks yeah about three weeks seems to yeah, be yeah there's been a time jump and another thing I think that really when you talk about the emotions of this scene stood out to me is I believe this is the first Mr. Robot episode that I can remember uh, maybe the first season was different I don't remember but it's certainly the first one in a while that has uh, this aspect ratio that's fully cinematic it seems like a movie because we walked into this with the cinematic opener with the the, the aspect ratio changing at the end of that so it, it feels like a different kind of show in the way it's shot so this moment really pops for me and the emotions of this scene really pop and then of course the performances from Carly Chaikin and Rami Malek both because you've got a great monologue from Rami Malek where he's talking about why does it matter he got what he wanted, didn't he? Except, wait, E-Corp's going to be just fine because of E-Coin. He didn't see that coming. Whoops, like Elliot's talking about Mr. Robot, but he's also talking about how it doesn't really matter what we've done because E-Corp is going to be just fine. Like, yeah, a couple people had to just die in disgrace, but who's counting? We're going to be okay, and E-Corp is going to be okay. So what are we really even doing here? And. I think that's a fascinating monologue to track when we talk about the end of this episode. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but Elliot seems to be very frustrated that everything that's happened didn't really lead to anything, that E-Corp's going to be fine, that they didn't have to suffer any of the consequences for it, that Mobley and Trenton had to bear the brunt of it and die in disgrace, and he's feeling responsible for that. But he, it doesn't seem like he's taking much solace in the fact that anything actually happened, because nothing actually happened. Uh, and we have to keep in mind, I don't know how much Elliot knows, but when Irving gave Mr. Robot the, the mindfuck last episode where he took him to the, the super rich party and basically said, like, why are you even bothering? Like, it doesn't even matter. These people are the ones who finance your revolution. They're always going to get away with it. So why don't you just give it up? And it seems like Elliot has the same resignation, even though he doesn't remember that moment in this scene. And he's also talking about all the things he's tried to get rid of Mr. Robot. Medication, therapy, he put himself in jail, uh, and Mr. Robot won't even leave. And then there's that great line, Josh, where he says, he won't leave because I wanted this. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What that remind you of? I liked yeah. it. Yeah. I am the one who knocks. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, a little, a little bit of that, uh, uh, shades of Heisenberg there. Crystal blue shades indeed. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a really great scene. Very re revealing about where Elliot is with all of this three weeks later. Uh, makes you wonder where Mr. Robot has been in that time as well. Like, does he just like shut off shortly after Irving takes him to that party? He's like, man, this all sucks. Like, has he given up or is he still at work on something? Is that something that's TBD? Will that be revealed in episode nine or even 10? Um, so I'm curious about where that's all going to go. Uh, but of course, Elliot's going to tell Darlene, like, we'll watch the movie tomorrow. Everything will be fine. I just want to be alone today. And Darlene, 
you know, she doesn't believe him, uh, nor should she really, given what we know Elliot is planning. Yeah, she's worried. I mean, she comes into the scene worried that he's wiped yeah. down, that he's doing all these things, that he's disappeared again. Uh, he is not giving her any kind of, she wants to stay there because she'll feel better, not about herself, but about him. I think she can smell it on him that he may be willing to do this and that he may be contemplating this. I think that she, and I don't know that anything in this scene makes her feel better at the end of the day. He calms her down a little bit, but had she known that he would immediately go give Flipper away to the blob, Josh? Uh, uh, to- the blob. Welcome back, Principal Anderson. Yes. Uh, welcome back, Principal Anderson. Had she known that that was going to happen? Had she These known- kids are all I got. Yeah. <laughs> Great had to she that he was going to go throw the code away, uh, speaking of all he's got, uh, and and really try to delete himself to get rid of Mr. Robot and then go buy drugs, Josh? Uh, I think she would have reacted a lot differently in this scene for sure. Hard Andy? Who's Hard Andy? Not somebody we've seen on this show before, but he, he really sort of emerges as a as a fully realized character, or at least uh, or at least partially realized. We don't know his backstory. We just know that he's a seedy drug dealer. It reminded me of the scene in Taxi Driver where Travis Bickle's buying the weapons. I had reminded me a little bit of Rami Malek's one off character in the Old Boy remake uh, with the the gender fluid actions that's going on with Hard Andy here. But Hard Andy seems to be a traveling drug salesman, and he's got all the best stuff, Josh. Uh, I don't want to describe how clean he says it is, but I just got to say, if drugs were were like what Hard Andy says, I think we could clear up the opiate problem pretty quickly. <laughs> Sounds like I don't like think people it. would be lining up for that. But the amount that Elliot wants to buy of morphine yeah, is... It it raises the alarms for for Hard Andy, and this is Hard Handy. This isn't somebody who works for Hard Andy. Did you just say Hard Handy? I did by accident. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad it was an accident. How long are you going to be mad at me that I said Hard Handy? <laughs> I'm glad that wasn't his name. Uh, I would have laughed too much in this episode if it was Hard Handy. Yeah, this is actually Hard Andy. He refers to himself a lot in the third person, but I believe he's Hard Andy. Okay, I wasn't uh, sure if he was referring to somebody else or if he was Hard Andy. So uh, I will try really hard to say Hard. Andy, hard Andy, hard Andy. Okay, I got it. Got it. We're hard back. Hanson, creator We're of back. Bones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, a, a hard Hanson Bones shout out. Unexpected things. My mom happen will love this podcast. This <laughs> is definitely a podcast you can never delete. Now that yep. is, uh, we're giving you the bang for your buck. Uh, but yeah, so hard, An- hard. <laughs> Almost did it again. Hard, hard Andy uh, is is definitely concerned uh, by the fact that Elliot wants to buy, you know, all of the morphine that he can buy, wants to buy the full stash. And there's very uh, few reasons for why that would be. Are you uh, are you trying to sell uh, to the cops? Like, are you are you wearing a wire? He makes Elliot strip down. He's not wearing a wire. Are you trying to resell in my market because you don't strike me as somebody with a death wish? Or is it option three? Is life that unbearable, baby? Uh, and it's a really kind of, um, you know, sort of sad, sinister moment that, like, yep. I wonder how Elliot's even, you know, receiving this, uh, you know, this whole this whole question of, like, maybe you do have a death wish after all. Like, is he disturbed by this or is he still just resigned? Yeah, and this I'm curious as to people watching the episode when it when it really became clear to each person viewing this episode that Elliot was specifically contemplating suicide. That Elliot was it Elliot letting Flipper go to to his neighbor to his landlord. Was it Elliot throwing the jacket out? Was it Hard Andy spelling it out here and basically saying like, "Is life really that difficult?" Because Elliot 
is a drug user. We've seen that from Elliot. We haven't seen Elliot slip. We haven't seen him go back to his morphine abuse. And so it could track, I think, still, even in this scene, oh, Elliot's going to just give it up and just go back on morphine. He's buying the whole bag because he wants to buy a whole lot at once so that he can just use it and use it and use it and use it. Not necessarily because he's going to take it all at once and kill himself. Uh, and I, I hard Andy spelling it out here. It, the, when I watched it, I, it wasn't entirely clear to me that Elliot was definitely going to go through with that he was planning to do this because you're right when hard Andy says that it just sort of lands Elliot doesn't own up to it Elliot doesn't give anything back in that moment all he basically says is you just made an easy sale and it's not there's no real takeaway from that because we go right from that scene to Elliot going to Mobley's brother's house Josh yeah, who has no love for Mobley, who seems to really be buying in to the greater story that Mobley was one of the masterminds of the cyber attacks. Hasn't even had a funeral for our son, Antonio. He hasn't had a few. He's a kind of a kind of I mean, imagine you put yourself in that position. And you talk about how Mr. Robot situates itself in present times when there was a mass shooting in Las Vegas a few weeks ago. The brother of the shooter couldn't even contemplate how this happened. And there was a very famous interview that he gave on his steps where he was basically saying, you tell me, I have no idea. This is not the brother that I knew. And I think there's a there's a tendency for us when we have things like this uh, to probably separate or distance ourselves from this horror. Uh, Noah Hawley, the creator of Fargo, wrote a pretty good book about this uh, that I believe is called, I, I read it, but I don't remember if it was called The Good Father, uh, but it was about the father of a mass shooter and how someone would have to come to grips with that sort of tragedy in their own lives. And this uh, this is not, this is one way to do it. I guess if you're sitting around just waiting for James Cameron to get off his ass and film the Avatar sequels, uh, like <laughs> Mobley's brother, the actor who plays Mobley's brother must be, uh, since he was in Avatar, I, I got to imagine you probably would respond pretty negatively, just like he's done here so uh, so yeah this is rough for Mobley and it doesn't give Elliot any kind of I don't know if he was looking for closure if he just wanted to go say some words over wherever Mobley's grave was and apologize but he is not going to get that from from Mobley's brother here uh, because Mobley's brother had nothing to do with Mobley there's garbage all over his front yard he's clearly angry he answers the door in a very hostile way like you got to imagine that in a world where they have been identified we saw the Vox explainer article earlier Josh a shout out to the Vox employees trying to unionize right now, but we saw them, we saw that earlier happening. And, uh, and yeah, this is pretty rough because uh, they've got to be identified as the, the siblings of these people. So they're probably living a pretty rough life. We didn't really see it overtly in the episode. I don't know if that's where the trash was meant to have come from or if it's just this is the world we live in now where garbage doesn't get picked up. But no wonder he's pretty pissed. Yeah, no wonder he's pretty pissed off. Uh, Elliot has better luck visiting Trenton's family, at least in terms of making a connection. It's a lot more moving um, in an overt way, though, the fact that Mobley's brother is misremembering him so poorly. You know, the way that he is thinking about Mobley is uh, very upsetting in its own right. But I think seeing just how how upset Trenton's father is and the whole, like, thank you for saying nice things about my daughter uh, and the two of them talking, Elliot and Trenton's father talking about uh, your daughter couldn't do this. I knew her. I, I want you to know she's innocent. Um, and, he, and Elliot's not willing to, like, say more about why he feels that way. Uh, but he's at least putting that out there and Trenton's father feels that too. 
says somebody did this to her. This country blames Muslims for everything. There's no room for us here anymore. Um, again, you know, really sadly, powerfully evocative stuff. Yeah, devastating scene. Uh, the when I when I first watched it, I thought, wow, this episode is sad. It's really, really sad. I had no idea what was to come, that it was going to gut punch me even harder. But this scene was so moving. I just thought, wow, this is uh, it's true. Uh, it's depressing. It's it's really... I, and I think that the big, a big part of this for Elliot, taking away the way it makes us feel, is it's got to be these are people... That he's responsible for this. Like the fact that they were set up and they were framed, this is all part of him getting away with it. And the fact that he's off scot-free. And it's a chain reaction of events that he put into motion. These are people that he recruited to F society. He was the leader of the group that they're now being essentially, uh, they're, they're being put at the front of. And so for him, I think there's a lot of personal feeling. There's also the idea that he's going to take his own life on this day. And what are people going to say about him? How will they remember him? Is it going to be a similar misremembering? Will they think good things that you can see where the guilt is coming from when he's, I mean, this is not helping. I mean, if you're talking about a guy who wants to take his own life, going to these interactions, to a brother who's completely misremembering his brother and saying horrible things about him. And then this devastating scene with Trenton's family. Uh, it's just not good. And this is not helping, I don't think, Elliot walk anything back. I don't know if he was looking for closure, like I said, out of these scenes. But if he was, this is pretty rough because yeah. uh, he's not getting it. And we see him speaking of closure. He ends up at Coney Island, Josh. We see him walk through the subway in a mad... The subway's a madhouse. I mean, honestly... What was going on when Elliot was going to Trenton's house? It's very Children of Men-esque. There's a lot of background going on, explaining or just showing, not telling what the world after the 7-1 attacks is like. We see the military rolling down the streets in Humvees. We hear the blast that there's a curfew on at night, a federal curfew. you got to imagine there's some kind of martial law going on. The subway, though, Josh, it looks the same as the New York subway always looks to me. So what do I know? <laughs> that could have been at any time. I didn't know if that was supposed to after the attacks before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard to, hard to make the subways worse. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> They're pretty rough. But They're he takes it to right Coney now. Island, and we end up, we're back where it all started. We end up at Coney Island. I don't if, that, if that's the same Ferris wheel in the background, but there's a Ferris wheel in the background. He's on the beach, and uh, I guess it makes sense if you're talking about a place where he might consider taking his own life, that it would, would all cycle back there. Yeah, so he's about to do it. He's, you know, looking out at the water again, shot beautifully. It is, you know, like, uh, it, it, shades of gray, but like beautiful in that way of like the, the out, yeah. you know, the storms that are still out there on the horizon that are still worth facing, but he's not going to face them anymore. Uh, and he's about to do it. And lo and behold, Someone has followed him. Someone has followed him to Coney Island and, uh, the, this beautiful friendship between this reluctant friendship between Elliot and Muhammad is going to begin here. Muhammad played by a young actor whose name I apologize in advance for probably butchering Elisha Hennig. Uh, I believe is the name of the actor according to Cor Adana. Again, apologies for pronunciation, but this kid, holy heck. Uh, spectacular, really, really brilliant. Corradana tells a good story about what he was like when he, um, when he first came to, to set for the, for the work in this, in this episode, uh, and says not only was he a pro and a pleasure to work with, but he has the maturity level of an adult. I remember when he visited set to introduce himself to Sam Esmail and Rami Malik for the first time. It was a few days before we filmed his scenes. He spoke to Rami about the episode, his character, and some ideas that he had. And when he left, we were 
were all like, that kid is smarter than all of us. Uh, so, so nice to know that like a lot of that kind of attitude that you're, that you're getting that's translating off of this character on the screen um, is really fueled by a really brilliant young actor uh, who I hope we get to see a lot of in, in the future, not just on Mr. Robot, but beyond. Um, but man, this is one of my favorite characters that's ever been introduced uh, in Mr. Robot, certainly so late into the game at this point. Uh, really, really fantastic character that we are about to go on a journey with here. Yeah, he has he has both the childlike sense and he has a gravitas of an adult. I don't know how else to put it other than he's just looking, just locking eyes with Rami Malek so much and the way he's holding his head when he's doing it, the eye acting, Josh. Just he he has the the, the gravitas of an adult and and he really also just has this childlike sense of why? Why? Where did why? How? Asking so many questions and really at, at, at first and probably 75% of their time together being a real thorn in Elliot's side, just being the kid that, uh, hey, Spike, what are we going to do? Spike, like just really kind of bouncing up and down at his side. Elliot knows that it's Trenton's brother. He recognizes him, of course. And so Elliot, I don't think, wants to push Trenton's brother away, Muhammad away, because I know that whatever's going on with Muhammad, Elliot probably feels like, okay, I, I owe this kid something. Like whatever Elliot wanted out of visiting Trenton and Mobley, whatever he was looking for, I think the universe is now providing him an opportunity to get some of when Muhammad shows up. But Elliot probably has his limits, right? You know, he's, he's very self-centered. He's very focused on doing what he needs to do. He has something very important to do, to do Josh. And Muhammad's not having it. Muhammad sits right down next to him. You don't own the beach, he says. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what, what can Elliot do? There's nothing he can do. This kid walks in and just takes over. He just takes over. I mean, Elliot is used to that in a certain way. Uh, somebody regularly walks into Elliot's life <laughs> and enough. takes over, but that's, <laughs> that's not a real person, or at least it's himself. This is like an actual flesh and bud, blood, objectively like different human being that he is now having to deal with. And I love watching Elliot try to, try to navigate the, the, uh, the social landmines involved in this kid just like storming into his life. Um, and he's like, just just go back, take the subway back. He's like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to take the subway. Uh, he's like, you can't stay here. Uh, and so if he if he's not going to leave, then Elliot is going to escort him back, and then he will get about his day. Uh, so they're gonna they're gonna head back. He's gonna take him back to to his home. And yeah. along the way, we're gonna we're gonna see uh, we're gonna see some more world building happening in the background. We are. There's soldiers all over the streets. Uh, there's a particular two soldiers in this scene. I think you and I both agree that. There's a lot of tension in this, even though Muhammad's talking about the mosque being near there and how he puts his shoes on without having to not stand up and not fall over. Uh, it just feels like we're seconds away from something horrible happening and something horrible is happening in the background. There are these detention camps. That's the part that especially reminded me of Children of Men uh, with the world building of like these detention camps just in the background, these fenced in areas. Uh, I don't know what's going on, but it's not great what's happening in, in the post uh, 7-1 world. Uh, in in New York City, especially, and you got to imagine across the country because this is a nationwide thing that happened. So I, I, this is great. I'm curious though. When Muhammad is talking to Elliot on the beach and as we're walking back, there's a lot of dialogue about like, I don't know how to go home. Where did I come from? I don't know how to do that. And did you at any point think that Elliot was manifesting Muhammad, that Muhammad wasn't, you said flesh and blood there, but did you think at any point you made the Mr. Robot comparison that Muhammad was actually another manifestation of Elliot's? 
I don't know why it never really came to mind that that was the case. I mean, I think maybe in the when he first shows up at the beach, uh, I wondered about it. But I think by the time that they get back to his house uh, and he's talking about how his parents are in Danbury, Connecticut, and it's two hours away because our uncle lives there by the mall uh, and they're probably uh, they're probably going to be gone for a while. That was like, OK, I don't think that Elliot knows those details, but I can tell you that those details are real because my wonderful wife wife, Emily Fox, and I drove not far away from the mall in Danbury, Connecticut on our way home from Thanksgiving the other week, Antonio, and we got stuck in some pretty shitty traffic. So it's definitely a real thing that is being evoked here by Muhammad. I was like, okay, so these are details that Elliot probably wouldn't know, but they are details that are true to life. So I imagine that this boy is real. So thanks for that, Danbury, Connecticut. It's just so weird because the this whole episode, I think, and maybe it's the aspect ratio, maybe it's the fact that it's from a narrative standpoint very different than the, the episodes we've seen the last run of in the show. It is more aligned with season two in terms of being very character specific and less focused on the pure narrative and the moments in the story that we've been building to. And this is a very emotional, I think, earned emotionally earned episode, but it does feel really surreal. And it just felt throughout all of these interactions with Elliot and Muhammad that to me, it, it felt like there's a possibility that this isn't happening. There's a possibility that Elliot took some pills and he's hallucinating or that Elliot is running through this moment in his life for some reason while he's sitting on the beach or he fell asleep or something happened and he's visualizing this. And I think it's only heightened, even though it's only for a moment when Muhammad disappears later. Uh, so if, if there are others in the audience who felt like I, w- I wasn't sure if this was happening, I was with you. I wasn't sure if this was happening. I was just taken in by everything that I was willing to say, all right, I'm just going to sit here and watch this play out because I wasn't ultimately sure where we were going with it. And I think that what happens when they get back to the house is great because it's just small talk. It becomes, you know, do you like things? Do you like this? Do you like TV? Do you like horses? Do you like Wii U? Do you like movies? I'm just surprised he didn't say, do you like turtles? <laughs> I like turtles. Yeah, uh, that would be great. Uh, but yeah, he says just a- asking him random questions. And when it comes to the movies, like, uh, yeah, I used to like movies. And poor Muhammad's never been to the movies, Josh, because they're too expensive. This is before the days of Movie Pass, I guess. I suppose that I is suppose. not branded content by Movie Pass. I, 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 I su- did not pay for it for this. I suppose that's right. But he's gonna he's gonna get Elliot to take him to the movies because what are they gonna do? We're just gonna sit here for two hours. Like we gotta go do something. Your parents aren't gonna be here for a while. So I guess we got to go and do a thing. Little does Elliot know that he's being conned right now. Yeah. Are you lying to me just so I take you to the movies? No. no. And then I want the, the Ron Howard narrator voice from Arrested Development. He is. He was. He <laughs> yeah, was. He was. <laughs> he was. Yeah. So he yeah. was lying. He was lying to him. And so they're going to go to the movies and they're going to watch the Matt Damon modern classic, The Martian. Not. They're going to watch something else. A lot of shade towards the Damon. Uh, you know, we, we talked about the, uh, the Damon's once upon, upon yes. a time, if you recall. Good point. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, this is, this is a different kind of Damon. I yeah, think not this McDamon's is, happening. This is not here. McDamon's. This is not, yeah, this is not that kind of Damon. Yeah. A little bit of shade, a little bit of shade to the Martian, a little bit of shade to critics, a little bit of shade to rotten tomatoes, which I think is fair. Uh, but this is, uh, it's back to the future day, Josh. It's October 21st, 2015. 
16. It's the date that Marty travels to in the future. Uh, and Elliot had always wanted to see the movie on this day. It's so weird that it's today. Uh, and I think that that's fascinating because we know that Elliot was contemplating killing himself. It makes you wonder, like, does this, did this day have some other greater significance to him? Is this part of why he chose this day? Because, uh, the, because the future day was representative of endless possibility when he was a kid. What will it be? Will it be hoverboards and flying cars and the Cubs and the Sharks and Marlins in the World Series? And will it be rehydrated pizzas and everything that might happen in, in 2015? And then you get there and it's not that. And it's actually way worse than you ever imagined in your dreams. And it is alternate Hill Valley 1985 and horrible things are happening. And maybe that's a huge part of what's weighing on you and you're not even realizing it if you're Elliot Alderson and you've assigned so much value to this movie throughout your life. So I thought that was subtle, but I thought it was great. And uh, he changed the timeline by the end of this episode, Josh. He didn't go through with it. So I think that that's I think it's I think it's fantastic that we can look at it this way. But man, the the cosplay that is on display in this episode is off the chain. You speak you, know, you speak of the way the future could be different. Uh, I I want to live in a world where I show up and that's what that's what's going on. I missed Back to the Future Day. Just go to Comic Con, man. You'll get that. You go, go go book a trip to San Diego Comic Con. You'll get all yeah, the but cosplay. I you all Back see. to the Future. That's all Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I love the guy dressed in the Hill Valley Courthouse costume, I think. Shout out to that guy. That's the best one. That's great. But all like the different versions of Marty and Doc Brown, like in their uh, experimental outfits before the Libyans arrived. Yeah. Uh, like there's just a lot of different great versions, like with Doc Brown with like the, the, the big like, helmet. Yeah, the headgear is good. <laughs> a couple of great, uh, like uh, Lorraine in the prom dress, I think is yeah, pretty perfect. good. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, tons of uh, tons of bubble vest Martys. I didn't see any what jewels you do? Jump and ships? Didn't see any jewels and Vern's. Thank God. I'm very triggered by the jewels and burns. I got a little say. kid standing in the corner pointing at his crank. Yeah. yeah, I can't can't deal with that. Uh, but I, you know, in our weekly back and forth with Cora Donna, I asked him about the origins of this scene because clearly Mr. Robot has uh, has an, uh, an abiding love for Back to the Future. It has been a part of this show for a while now, has even appeared earlier this season when Angela was watching the Back to the Future cartoon just a few episodes ago, just two episodes ago, in fact. Uh, and so this is Cora Donna's origin story for the Back to the Future day that is represented in this episode. Uh, he writes, we, st- we started writing season two in October of 2015. When Back to the Future day rolled around October 21st, 2015, we all went to see Back to the Future 2 on the big screen. Side note, to be a fly on that wall, a McFly on that wall would, have been, <laughs> would be really fantastic. Uh, he continues, here's a pic from Sam's Instagram of that night, so you can check that out on our THR article. Uh, this season, when we realized that we were approaching that date in our Mr. Robot story calendar, we knew we wanted to incorporate Back to the Future Day somehow. Some of our observant Redditors have been watching the dates closely and were able to anticipate this. We actually moved some other dates around the Season 3 storyline in order to make October 21st the day Elliot wanted to kill himself. After that, we planted beats that would earn us the Back to the Future scene. We thought of starting the episode with a flashback in a movie theater because we've already established that Elliot and his father like to go to the movies together. We then loved the idea of calling that moment back when Muhammad pressures Elliot into going into the movies. Uh, so that's fantastic. I love the origin story behind that. It pays off really nicely. I think it's obviously it is, uh, it is playing with the audience in a pretty big way in terms of like, what are the rules of time travel in the Back to the Future universe versus the rules 
of time travel in the real world slash the Mr. Robot world. There's a lot of arguing back and forth of like, what is the plot of Back to the Future? And one person says, it's about going into the future to change the past and traveling back to an alternate present day. Somebody else says, you can't go into the future to change the past. It's way heavier than that. He goes into the future to change the future, which allows Biff to change the past, which changes the future again. And then I believe it's a Lorraine who says it's yes. much it's much simpler than that. One mistake can change the world is what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's all great. That's very, uh, you know, to, to bring in a show that you and I love very much that I would like to say, like, we're not we're not like calling upon it all of the time anymore. So a little pat on the back there. But I'm going to bring a lost thing in here. Uh, there's the great uh, Hurley and Miles exchange about the rules of time travel once upon a time on Lost. Uh, and it just reminded me of that here. So loved that. I thought that that was uh, thought that this this whole exchange was was great. A little bit triggering as we still do not know exactly how or if actual time travel is going to come into play in Mr. Robot. No, and I thought the I thought the Lorraine stepping in and saying one mistake can change the world put a nice bow on it because you're right, Mr. Robot can get caught up in the weeds as we're talking about the rules of time travel on the sh- on this show and whether it's going to be introduced and how that might be part of the story, but it can be more simple. It can just be a story about how one mistake can change the world. And that is certainly the world that Elliot is living in. So, leaving aside all of the white rose possibilities about going into the future to change the past or alternate present days or things like that, having the Lorraine step in and really sum it up for Elliot and really summarize what Elliot's been thinking and living and experiencing, I think is a great uh, meta thing for this show to do. And yeah, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when they went out and saw that movie. It look, look, looks great and it would have been a great time. But uh, I don't know. I like the uh, popcorn with M&Ms. That's always a good thing to do. Sweet and salty. Always Sweet a good and salty. Combo. 100%. Yeah, yeah totally good, into that. It also reminded me, this scene a little bit, uh, it reminded me of 12 months monkeys not the movie not the tv show where bruce willis goes to a hitchcock film festival and one of my favorite movies if not my favorite movie comes up which is vertigo he wakes up and it's all about this is where i was born this is where i died and there are weird time elements in play in that movie or maybe not in play depending on the way uh what you're thinking about the story as you're watching it there are certainly weird time elements in play in 12 monkeys and in la jete the short film upon which 12 monkeys built its its whole altar so it it really it's just so evocative this scene not only of back to the future not only of everything in the show not only of other great shows it just does what mr robot does so well which i I think is play in a realm where it it is resonant in a personal way with whatever personal thing it's touching on for you because it's pulling in things whether it's direct references or not that were important to sam asmail and that were important to the writers in the room and they do a great job i think of making those resonate with the characters and with the moments on the show they don't cheat they don't force things in. I do love the the dig at Rotten Tomatoes, though. I'm all in on that. I know. Mar- the Martian has 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's because most critics have <laughs> shitty taste. Like, come on. Relax. Everyone relax. We all got to calm down about this. Everybody, you better relax, bro. <laughs> you better uh, relax, bro. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, uh, I guess it's possible that, like, nine of the top 100 movies of all time have been released this year, according to Rotten Tomatoes, but it seems unlikely. So, it seems I'm unlikely. all about that. Yeah. They're watching Back to the Future 2. Doc Brown says, Elliot, will you hold my flux capacitor while I, cl- while I clean my glasses off and uh, this is uh, what, what do you think there, do you think there's any significance to this being the moment uh, that we see in the movie this this very moment when Marty and Doc land hmm I hadn't really 
thought about that. At this point, um, Marty's girlfriend is she already is she passed out in the in the back of the DeLorean at this point? Yeah, yep. And Marty's not really seen. This is when they're first getting to the future, and Marty's. I got to check this out. He wants to know what's going on, and Doc is saying no one should know that much about their own destiny. And this is a a lot about what happens in the Back to the Future story, and a lot of what happens in in the context of this particular movie. But it is very much Marty wanting to see the future when they're first landing there. So I don't know if there's any significance to it. Uh, we it's not quite. Well, Shayla one- was in the back of a car once upon a time. Oh boy, thanks for reminding me. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take some morphine now, if you don't mind. Hey, I believe Frankie Shaw's show got renewed for a second season, it so it's not all bad. It's not it all bad. Congrats to Frankie Shaw for the renewal on Smilf. Uh, it, I have not watched it, but I've heard I've heard good things. I've heard Looking it forward is, to uh, checking it out. Yeah. yeah, I've heard it's really a, a really good show in many many different ways. Like but Muhammad is MIA. Impactful. Yeah, Muhammad's gone, disappears, and I'm telling you, at that moment, I thought. What now, Elliot? Just imagine this kid, like, and I'm glad it was resolved rather quickly. Elliot goes out into the lobby, and there's two people randomly making out there. I think there's a lot of Back to the Future callouts uh, that are happening in this episode. Uh, but we've got the 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 disinterested movie clerk saying, "Oh, he peaced out. Yeah, he's gone. So uh, he's gone. Muhammad's gone." And Elliot sees a Lorraine putting her heels on and struggling to stand up while she's doing it, and he puts together where he needs to go, but he has no idea how to find the mosque josh until someone shows up yeah someone shows up uh i'm blanking on the name of the actor but this uh this ice cream driver who uh has a has a thing for the orson wells blasting war of the worlds uh things get a little fakakta at the end of war of the worlds but the humans actually persevere uh this is a fun little moment on the show for sure yeah what did you think there was anything more to this we did not podcast about fargo season three and i don't want to spoil anything from that season but there was a there was a character from from what hebrew mythology i suppose you might want to say that perhaps played a role in fargo season three and i didn't know if you thought there might have been some greater connection or if this is just a random ice cream truck driver yeah i mean i don't know i mean i know you're you're bringing up like the wandering jew myth and i think that there's definitely something to that that's going on here there is a a religiosity to this episode right like this is the most spiritual episode of mr robot by far i yeah. You know, I can't even uh, I can't even come close to thinking of one that that compares uh, to this episode. Uh, and I think that that's because like there is like, I don't know, there's like a really spiritual vibe that is like fueling the veins of this episode of like, um, you know, through whether it's through like the church of, uh, you know, like through a church or through a mosque or through a synagogue or through like the church of cinema and the power of story uh, and back to the future being like kind of, um, you know, a, a front of mind like you know place of worship in its own way and that feeling of uh, of destiny that's coursing through uh that film and that narrative and clearly something is pushing elliot forward here if there's you know whether or not um you know muhammad is real in the context of this story triton's brother is a real character but there is like a level of like divine intervention there and i think that you just see that in a lot of different avenues in in this episode which is one of the one of the you know the contributing factors to making this such a lovely episode of Mr. Robot, ultimately. So for me, it just adds to the vibe of that. Uh, I thought that that line about how like it gets a little fakakta at the end, but the humans actually persevere, makes me very hopeful that that is the direction that we'll go in with Mr. Robot in terms of like the world and how we will leave the world of Mr. Robot by the end of this show. Like, 
could very easily end in the death of every single character that we've come to know and love on this show. But hopefully, like, they will, you know, they will leave the, the world, the universe of Mr. Robot in something resembling a hopeful place would be, would be my hope that it will be, um, at least, uh, you know, if not salty sweet, then bittersweet, you know, mix some of those M&Ms into the popcorn a little bit further. I like that. I hope that's true. Uh, and I, I do feel like that line was, again, a little more uplifting. Like you, And you're right about the religiosity of this episode and the spiritual elements. And I think it does play into the whole surreal moment. I mean, just this guy rolling up and it's like this well-lit ice cream truck. And we have these shots from the the, the ice cream, the, the cone on the top of the truck. And the War of the Worlds is just blasting out. Like, what is this guy doing driving around town playing the War of the Worlds? selling ice cream i don't know uh but i uh i i i, I want to know like i i want to live in that world where this can happen where you need some help and this guy just shows up uh and whether or not it's meant to be tied into that mythology or not i really like that and i don't know if the actors even credited in the episode i i think that you had discerned who it was but i forgot i'm forgetting as well but we end up at the mosque he knows he's got friends in both places and so we find the mosque where muhammad has retreated and it is is, uh, I think Josh, this scene is is so emotional. Uh, it, and there's a couple really emotional moments in it. Uh, the button at the end being the, the biggest among them. But there's a, the the conversation really between Muhammad and Elliot has been about Matt Damon and Rotten Tomatoes and popcorn and Wii U and horses and bald uncles and all things like that. But we get into the nitty gritty here. Why did you bail on me at the theater? I would have come here with you if that's what you wanted. And no, you kept saying you have something to do. And why did you come to her house? And this huge confrontation erupts. You're a baby. You're a nightmare. I wish you were dead. So do I. So do I. And yeah, uh, yeah. man, that uh, that broke me completely. Uh, that moment where Elliot said, so do I, broke me completely. And I think I had, it was one of those things, I, as I said, where I had realized that he was contemplating this, but I don't know that I took it in that he was ready to do it, that he was super serious about it. It felt like he had some business to attend to and going to Trenton and Mobley's houses and this had sidetracked him a little bit, but it really bubbled out. And I love, I love that. Muhammad did not let Elliot get away with that. Like that Elliot did that. Muhammad did not let that change the scene to say, Oh, well, I'm just going to give you a break on everything. And Muhammad made it about him. He made it about him. He made it about himself and said, you know, I, sometimes I feel like I did something bad to make Shama leave. And oh, by the way, like you have to take your shoes off. Uh, he literally calls him out on the carpet. Like I really like all the things that are going on in this scene that, that, that the, the way that it builds throughout. I just thought that, that it isn't something that Elliot, he doesn't let Elliot dwell on his bullshit. He says, I hear you talk about yourself a lot. Like he does not let that happen. And that's after Elliot. It says it wasn't your fault or hers. It was mine. All of it. Don't blame her or yourself. You can blame me. Elliot's owning it all. Elliot is pushing it out there. And and I love that Muhammad's basically like, you know, don't climb down off the cross, buddy. If there's a cross in this mosque, like this is not your you, you're not you're not who you think you are. Like, let, let's take you out of this equation a little bit and let's make yourself let's humble yourself, like humble yourself in front of God, humble yourself in front of your responsibility and your actions 
don't make this so directly about you, especially in this place. Uh, and I thought that that was really fantastic. Uh, I, yeah, I love this so moment. Good. I love this moment where Muhammad is talking about how he could be president of the yes. United States. He says, my sister couldn't be. She wasn't born here. My mom and dad can't either. I'm the only one in my family who could be president. Isn't that cool? If I were president, I would be able to stay here in the house that we live in. We wouldn't have to move. I'd find a way to bring back my sister. I'd put the real bad guys in jail. I would make everybody Pop-Tarts for dinner. I would make everyone be nice to me. Uh, and once again, a little bit of shade at uh, he who shall not be named. Our embarrassment. Yeah, so you would be a dictator. What's a dictator? It's like a really bad president. Uh, and it's just a really, really touching scene that does end in what is uh, truly one of um, one of my favorite moments of the entire show in an episode that I am really ready to declare as just my favorite of the series uh, is, um, you know, we were they both are bonding over the fact that they were born in New Jersey. Elliot was born in Washington Township. And when he says, where were you born? I think I was expecting Muhammad to say Washington Township, too. And there was going to be like some sort of like aha eureka moment where yep. uh, these two are from like the same place. But when he responds, just the way he delivers the line, Trenton. Like, it's so beautiful. And it's like, you know, you and I are obviously really cut up about Mobley, but Trenton was great too. Uh, and it's just, it's such a, it's such a sweet remembrance of, of that character. And to get that from, uh, her surviving little brother is just a, it's a beautiful, beautiful moment. Uh, I didn't even have a question about that for, for Cora this week. I just had to like bring it up because I, because I loved it so much. Uh, and, and Cora said that it's one of his favorite moments of the series as well. Uh, I really think it's just it's spectacular. And obviously, this really bonds this part of the experience really bonds Elliot and Muhammad together. And Elliot's going to take Muhammad home. And after all of this, after everything at the mosque, I think this is now the point where Elliot is like, okay, I'm still here. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm not going to delete myself. Uh, and he is going to be around to continue taking Elliot to or continue taking Muhammad to, to the movies. Uh, he's going to take him to the Martian. Uh, and <laughs> it's so great. He's like, I think you'll like it. That Damon is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. I mean, I love that there's so much of Elliot in Muhammad, that they both grew up in New Jersey, that they both feel responsible for what happened to Trenton, that they both have this, this, uh, this desire to blame themselves, that there's this guilt that we know Elliot felt about what happened with his dad, uh, and that we talked about with the window scene that Elliot carry, has carried around with him his whole life, and that he sees, I think, a lot of him, his own guilt in Muhammad, and that causes him to be, I think that might be the turning point in, in Elliot its decision to kill himself or not i don't know but when he approaches him and says this isn't your fault like uh it's close to it anyway and the way that that all plays out with the trenton is wonderful but i also like kind of amazing by the way that uh that there's so much matt damon shade and the whole it's not your fault very very, uh goodwill hunting ish i just think that that's a fun connection (laughs) i got a number how do you like them apples yes uh this is uh this is it's just i really like that they're so so similar And, and and the fact of the matter is because of the surreal nature of the episode, I thought like, wow, wow. as Elliot's seeing a lot of him, his young self here, like I thought it was going to be a Washington Township thing too. And I thought there was going to be that connection. So I like that they're different enough. And I like that Muhammad has his number a little bit. I think you'll like it. Matt Damon is awesome. And then Muhammad goes back and says, stay here. I've got something for you. And then and yeah. I'm thinking in that moment, like he's got the email from right. Trenton, right? right. Like, yeah. This he's, was, who, this, he's who she trusted, right? Th- this was all some sort of, uh, some sort of gambit. This was all some sort 
sort of like trust exercise. Like it, maybe the email says like, get this to this guy, Elliot Alderson. He shows up and like, is he feeling him out because he wants, uh, he wants to see if he can trust him. And no, it's just a lollipop, which I hope is apple flavored. How do I like those apples? If it's lime flavored, I'm out. Uh, but it is green. Uh, so I don't really know. But the moment where he disappears inside the house to go and fetch whatever it is he's going to fetch and Elliot starts crying there uh, after he's gone back inside uh, in a you know in an ocean of incredible acting moments for Rami Malek you know this is this is really high up there and this this was where I broke this is where I started to cry like I couldn't handle it anymore but it was like I don't know. It was like, it was a very, uh, I wasn't going to say, I, I don't know, like tears of joy doesn't quite make, uh, doesn't quite work out. I think like, I don't think that that's exactly what's going on here, but it's cathartic. And yep. it is that feeling of like, it doesn't, you know, yeah, things are awful right now and fixing stuff is going to require uh, what feels like an impossible amount of effort and um, and like an unmanageable like an untenable task just something that's too big to do uh on your own let alone at all uh and i i don't know like that moment there uh really makes you feel like Difficult, yeah. Impossible, no. You know, like, you know, anything that's really worth fighting for, it's going to be a hard battle. It's going to be a tough battle. And this is the moment where Elliot is ready to get you know, get back on it and get back in it and give it another go and give it another shot and give it another push, the right kind of push this time. Uh, and I think that that's very resonant right now. Uh, and I think it's especially effective in light of the three episodes that came before this. Uh, I mean, the whole show that's come up to this moment, but really the three episodes that were just like pow, 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 gut punch after gut punch after gut punch of just like pure intensity and adrenaline uh this is the moment where it's like stopping to to think back and reflect on on all of those moments that have come to pass uh and really you know look up towards a north star of sorts and be like i'm coming for you uh really beautiful stuff really really excellently done and i think uh, you said it just so well earned just the way that it all it's a payoff of so much that in that moment he's really he's really breaking down and just accepting what's going to happen it's the emotional weight of knowing that I'm going to live with whatever I, I'm not going to run away from it I'm going to I'm going to let it wash over me and I'm going to earn and own everything that comes in the future and I love this because it, we see it play out like he goes we immediately see it play out because he takes the lollipop from Muhammad uh, because he was sick um, that's so tender and so sweet uh, and it's not an email but he immediately goes to Mobley's brother's house and he lays down the law on Mobley's brother this time oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, great. yeah it's great yeah you're going to have a few you're going to make sure he has a funeral, a really good one. I want an invite. I'll make sure you get my email. He's basically blackmailing him. Uh, he knows how he's, uh, you know, like shady stuff that the IRS isn't going to like about his business practices. Uh, he, I guess, like he found out about Hard Andy from uh, Moby's brother. Yep. Hard yep. Andy was one of his clients, so he's giving him the morphine to sell back, and the money will pay for the funeral. Start writing a eulogy. I'll be in the back listening. I don't know that I need to see that scene ever uh i would like to i think it'd be fun but i don't think that i need to see that i think to see elliot come back with that level of force 
uh, was was really important. And um, I, I do I, I don't feel good about what happened to Trenton and Mobley, but like this is an episode that helps me feel like things are going to be made right, or at least an attempt is going to be made right to avenge these people. Uh, t- we talked about the vengeance pact uh, many moons ago, a few episodes back, and like yeah, they weren't Elliot and Darlene's other siblings, but in a way they were. They were, you know, they were they were brothers and sisters on the battlefield together, and they're gonna at least Elliot's gonna get some vengeance, and I guarantee you, Darlene is gonna be in on that as well. Uh, she's gonna feel that. That's gonna be totally up her alley. Uh, so seeing the you know the the bridge being um, you know cr- uh, crossed with with Muhammad earlier in this episode through the majority of this episode, and then getting this moment with Mobley's brother as well, just really starts to get you into the place of like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna at least we're gonna really try to make this right and i love that it's you know shows on the upswing right now right and it it, i think that feeling enables elliot to go do something that he probably feels like he should do and even though it, it doesn't it does involve taking the high road to an extent uh he feels like he needs to go to see angela and i think really take advantage of the cinematic aspect ratio of this episode this beautiful shot we have noticed in the past i think or at least i have the red the red hallway outside angela's apartment the color and that and that scene. But I think the way that it was staged here with them on either side of the door and the red and the black, it was just beautiful and very tender. The music starts to swell. Uh, we have this, uh, this idea. It's, it's a different version of if it's a different version of what white Rose has promised Angela. It's a, no matter what happens, we'll be okay story, but it is not like we're going to undo timelines. Uh, it is ultimately like we can wish, we can wish that things will get better. And it isn't that they're going to get better it's the wishing that's important it's having the positive attitude it's hoping for the best it's closing your eyes and surging forward against all odds or even though you know things are bad that you'll find your truest power and your biggest victories and i think that at the end of the day that that's a positive message that angela needs to hear is this going to snap her out of it i I don't know what she's been doing has she been going to work who's feeding her Uh, is she just laying around on the ground in her apartment i have no idea Uh, but this is something I think that is an alternate version of the White Rose story that she can look back on and say, you know what? I don't have to believe in science fiction. I don't have to believe in alternate realities to feel that I can pull some power from hope, from really bringing hope into my world and hoping that that I can draw that power and make myself feel differently emotionally from that, not just from hacking the world or changing time or going into a particle collider, that we can make it better just through our efforts to make it better. And I think that that's a, a great scene, just a really, really good scene in an episode full of them. Yeah. Well, I will also say, uh, I will echo all of that. I think it is a really, really beautiful scene. Um, Elliot and Angela seem to be, uh, if not completely on the same page again, at least they're close. So come on. Tell us what White Rose showed you. We're running out of time here. We got to see this on the show. You can't keep dangling this, guys. We got to know. We got to find out. You can't go full season without telling us what Angela saw. Like, you've kept Angela at arm's reach for so long. We got to know. We got to know. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. You can't keep doing it. You know, just like the, the one thing. It's the one thing. Like, just like I, like you, the, the show has come up with a lot of really great narrative ways of keeping us away from that information. 
But we're running out of excuses freaking fast, man. We got to get to that within these next two episodes where I'm, I'm going to be legitimately annoyed. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't feel that way because I feel I, like... I really Ange- do. I really do. I feel do. like Angela's so nuts that White Rose could have showed her a Hallmark card and she would have been like, oh my God, you're right. Like, I feel like she broke Angela down with the questioning and Angela was already there at the end of the There was 28 minutes or something crazy like that. It That's was just a long a, conversation that we don't know what happened. About right. a Hallmark card. <laughs> you know, like, it might have been a really good one like with the pop out like there was a song in it with the battery and there was a funny joke on the back i don't know you know if, if white rose is allotting that much time to convince angela like that is white rose esteeming that angela is somebody who needs that much time we know how much white rose values time and is going to use it very very measuredly so why did it require so much time to convince angela and it certainly thoroughly convinced angela yeah so what what was it Tell me. Tell me, Mr. Robot. <laughs> tell me, Sam Esmail. Tell me, Cora Donna. Tell me, somebody. Josh, somebody. Just here's what you need to do. Close your eyes really hard. And the harder you close them, the more likely it is you'll find uh, out in the next two episodes. You know, look, the whole thing, like, I mean, it has it has stuck in my craw since the moment that scene occurred in season two. And I'm, I'm still waiting, still waiting for the shoe to drop. So, you know, as much as I uh, as much as I salute Mr. Robot on the regs, I got to call out the thing that is still just a little bit of a thorn in my side. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I think you're waiting because you're worried. I think that's part of it. I am. I I think you're worried that it's going to be something that upsets you or frustrates you or makes you angry. And that's why without (laughs) resolving it, you're still in this position where you've committed emotionally like a lot. And it's this one thing that could burn you completely. I don't know, man. I believe I believe in the vision. I believe in the show. I really, really do. And this show so much more often than not is hit for me. Um, almost all the time. Like I, I really like I stand by season two. I will defend season two. I think season three is super fire at this point. Uh, we're talking about a show, uh, an episode of the show that you and I uh, are both deeming our favorite of the series. And I think that that's a real emotional reaction for me at the very least is, is how I'm feeling about this episode. It's just so hopeful. And it has that up, you know, that upward trajectory that I think has been um, really, uh, even though this has been a propulsive season, this is the first time where I feel like we might be able to do right by some of these people. We might not be able to make everything better, but no matter what happens, we'll be okay. Uh, and I do believe in that. I do think that that's what Mr. Robot is barreling toward. Oh, man, don't mess with me. You know, stop messing with me on this time travel shit. Just, well, you're, dri- you're driving me nuts. <laughs> it's interesting. I want to talk about what you just said in the context of what we what the re- what happens in the rest of this episode, which is this one final scene. Elliot walks home. He's talking about how deletion's not always permanent. We see some trash thrown out on the street in front of his house, and sure enough, it's the Mister Robot jacket, which he picks up. And he's also had some deliveries. He's fixing his mirror. He's putting a new motherboard in. He's getting his computer back on. Josh, he put himself in the trash can but he didn't empty the trash can. So now he's dragged himself back to desktop. And there are many reasons you want to recover a file you just deleted. When you have that moment of panic, when it hits you, where that thing that you thought had no value suddenly becomes important or you find new purpose for it. And as he's doing this, he logs on to his email account, Josh. And it's him. It's him who received the email. Uh, You clarified this with Corridana. He is reading it for the first time. This is the first time Elliot is seeing this email. And Trenton, it's it's about what we talked about from the end of season two that she has maybe found a way to undo the hack that there exists in the world some possible record of the encryption key which we think we thought was destroyed and if it's not destroyed if there's some way to figure out how the file was encrypted then it can be decrypted and ecorp can be restored but i'm not sure josh 
why that is hopeful. Um, because it will. Does it do? Does it get them closer to to baseline at the very least? Like, is that part of it where it's like at least now, like, Ecoin isn't going to be this thing that is wielded by the shadow forces, and like they are going to have like won from all of this. Like, they actually are ultimately going to have benefited from my revolution. Like, at the, at the very least, like, is restoring the the status quo of pre five nine to some degree in in terms of like the economy of the world is there something better there than what they're currently living through where everyone is now truly deeply beholden to ecoin instead of where they were beforehand it's possible but then if if it's a more favorable scenario for ecorp to have the ecoin revolution i'm not sure they want to restore it like and that's the other part of this is is that who is involved in this now trenton's email says the fbi might have the files that this is something ultimately if you read if you screenshot and you read the email romero may have logged the keystrokes in the arcade. He may have kept track of them. He may have put devices on this. This is what Trenton discovered, that Romero was keeping track of all the activity that occurred at the arcade. So there may be a record of what was done to encrypt the file. And if that's the case, you can decrypt it. But if there is that record, it's in Romero's stuff. And Romero's stuff was at his house until Romero was killed by a stray bullet and the FBI got involved because he had a list of FBI agents at his place, a three-page list. And so the FBI was involved. The FBI may have taken his stuff. Was it on the computer that the FBI accidentally blew up? I mean, how horrible would that be uh, if we have this hopeful thing in the world and then it turns out that it was on the computer at Romero's place that he had rigged that the FBI accidentally blew up? I don't know. We don't know what this is. There's been some transfer of evidence from the NYPD to the FBI. So the FBI has the records. Is Elliot's next move to go to the FBI? Is this what brings Elliot and DDP together? Are they going to work with E-Corp or against E-Corp? Is Angela going to be involved? There are a lot of possibilities here. Is this leverage for Price to use? Because Price has to be pretty happy about E-Coin, but it's not perfect for Price. We, we thought that this was a death sentence for Philip Price, what happened with the 71 uh, buildings being blown up. So does this maybe restore Philip Price? What, what happens when White Rose finds out about this? Santiago and the Dark Army involved. This sets up a lot of possibilities for the rest of this season, Josh. Only two episodes left. Yeah, the Avengers are going to assemble is what's going to happen here. Oh my gosh, we're going to have an Infinity War. Mr. Robot Infinity War. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get Philip Price is going to get in the action. DDP is going to sign on to the team. I'm going to edit what you just did and make it a ringtone. Every right, time sure. you text me, that's going to be right. the alert. Well, why don't you put that on on the internet so anyone else who wants uh, a, a Wiggler, uh, a Wiggler, Alan Silvestri uh, moment here, uh, just calling out the Avengers theme. I'm happy to have that in the universe. But yeah, no, I don't know where it's going to go. But it, like a lot of these things that have been um, fantasized about, like dreamed about, of like character interactions that we really want to see, you can imagine them starting to to occur through this new storyline. Uh, if the FBI has the the possession of Romero's stuff, then like that is a very easy way for Elliot to now need to interact with DDP and for Darlene to be a, um, you know, a connective 
tissue there in terms of like getting those two people in the same room together. Uh, maybe there is incentive for Philip Price to get on board with this because everything that's happened has positioned White Rose uh, to be in this remarkable position of power and Philip Price is going to be on his way out the door and it's going to have to name his own replacement. Is Philip Price some kind of hero if he's able to, to restore the status quo? Is he someone who can be useful? Certainly Angela has that connection and now Elliot and Angela are back on the same page. Uh, so I do think like some sort of like um, Mr. Robot's mightiest anti-heroes could assemble. You know, like I think that there there is a possibility there for sure. Either yeah. way, you know, the, the tease for what's coming up next week, uh, according to Cora Donna, as we always like to do when we close out our columns, I said, tee us up for what's coming next. Two words, one of which is a number. Stage three. <sighs> Oh boy! Uh, is stage so the three dark good? Is, not is stage three good, or is nah. stage or is stage three Elliot's plan? You yeah. know, like is that is that the is that the the third swing that like nobody uh, had accounted for? That you know Elliot's got more up his sleeve. And I'll remind you that in um the in the process of leaving season two, Sam Esmail in an interview with me and in interviews with other people who spoke with him around that time talked about how he looks at Mister Robot season three as a Return of the Jedi of sorts. A, uh, a coming back into his power for for Elliot Alderson having something of a of a Luke Skywalker the Last Jedi type of moment and could we now finally be moving into that territory here as we're going into these final couple of episodes of uh, of season three of Mr. Robot and can Mr. Robot get back on board like the thing that I'm really now starting to look for. And I and I brought up this word in our podcast with Core is like is uh, is reintegration happening? Is regeneration going to be the word of season four potentially? Like, can we now finally see Elliot and Robot somewhat simpatico and Robot's rage channeled in the right direction? You know, can these can these two disparate halves come together? So it's not even just a matter of like can all of these these disparate characters now start working together towards some sort of common interest, but could we see could we see that happening within Elliot himself? Could Mr. Robot be part of the band? You know, the original F Society is basically gone. It's just Elliot and Darlene. And if you want to count Mr. Robot, Mr. Robot as well. But the other three principal players from those days are dead. Cisco's dead too, by the way. You know, like those original players are all gone. Is it time for a new F Society, basically? Like, is it time for a new crew to come in and start wrecking some stuff? I certainly hope so. I mean, it sounds a little Hollywood blockbustery, but I don't know. That sounds like it would get a high rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Maybe at least ninety two percent. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Uh, and the 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 fact of the matter is, like, if E Corp gets restored, I, I don't know how that hurts White Rose. So, what is stage three? Is stage three part of the Dark Army's plan, or is it not? It, it, no matter what happens, Congo's annexed. Like that already happened, and now White Rose was challenging Philip Price to move the plant and coordinate the logistics of all this, and there's still that hanging in the balance. But even if E Corp is restored and some semblance of normalcy is restored to humanity, and Elliot gets a small win there in the larger battle between Price and White Rose, I don't know how that ultimately hurts White Rose. It's hard to say because we're talking about moves on a board that we don't even know what the board looks like. We don't even know ultimately what what game is being played so it's hard to say what what stage three might be with regard to that and and how it might play with with the dark army or, or the other thing is we need to reset not us but the show 
because there was a time jump, there are a lot of question marks about what's happening with Tyrell. Uh, did he get off scot-free? Uh, is he out in the wild? Uh, what Did he dime someone out? Like, wh- where is this going? He gave them those two leads. He's uh, pretending that he was kept in captivity. So what what's the status on Tyrell? What's the status on Santiago? What's DDP been up to in this time period while all these things are happening? Are, there focusing, are they focusing on entirely different things now? Uh, is the board completely gone is f society somebody that is something that they're still looking into or did they feel like they ended it i mean where is that focus so i'm stage three is going to be part and parcel to placing us hopefully in a realm where we're going to update a lot of that story as well all right so we've got two more episodes of mr robot before we close out season three it's not it's not it's not uh two more episodes of (laughs) mr robot uh 309 and 310 coming up soon we'll be back next week talking about 309 here postshowrecaps.com slash robot you can also find this podcast embedded in our weekly column with core adana subscribe to what we're doing at postshowrecaps.com slash robot leave us your star ratings and reviews would be greatly greatly appreciated Appreciated. Uh, anything else from this week, Antonio, that you want to talk about before we sign off? No, I think that was everything from my notes. It really, I just, I think you're right. I think me saying that it's my favorite episode comes from an emotional place. And I think it's an emotional place that the show earned uh, because the show was propulsing in this direction that was dark and that bad things have been happening. These moments of hope and seeing Elliot, the character in a positive place. I mean, this is the most positive we've seen him in a very, very long time, maybe ever. Uh, the, the moments of positivity before where Elliot strolling down the street to steal my sunshine and drinking Starbucks and saying he wants to watch Marvel movies. And because he had, to, he had a real reckoning for everything that he's dealt with and because he had this vision quest where he met a young boy who made him look at his world differently and made him see the world through different eyes and actually human interactions, uh, which Elliot had been that had been so foreign to him. I, I just think this was such an impactful episode of the series, not just the season and i i i just don't think there's going to be a number of times that i watch it that it doesn't feel that way to me uh because it feels like it's not it feels like it's very much part of mr robot and yet part of it not necessarily the same show it was mr robot doing an episode unlike mr robot yet very much like mr robot and for that reason it was just so 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 resonant to me and uh joy to podcast about joy to watch and i'm i'm really excited about the final two episodes there's probably means josh the next two episodes are going to be nut punches both of them but, uh, <laughs> mega dark, mega true. dark, so yeah. dark, so dark. Definitely, yeah. we're the well, ones who did the death draft. We put Chekhov's death draft in play. I know. Well, let's just let's just remember the good times. Let's remember Back to the Future Day. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, if it does go poorly, no matter what happens, Antonio, close your eyes. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. We'll be all right. I'm just going to close them really hard. Uh, all right. Maybe a lot of things will change. All right. Well, we're going to close the podcast here. Thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. We'll be back next week talking about the penultimate episode of season three. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye, friends. Goodbye.